Hello, everyone. I'm Angela Davis, and I am thrilled to welcome you to another live in focus discussion that we are doing out in community. Again, so great to see everybody's faces tonight. Good to be able to meet so many of you as well. Yes, let everybody hear how excited you are to be here. Uh, right now, I am at Hook and Ladder Theater and Lounge in Minneapolis to discuss the recovery of Lake Street. As you all likely remember, with vivid detail, I'm sure, Lake Street was ground zero three years ago for the racial uprising that spread around the world after the murder of George Floyd. In fact, the burned-out third precinct is literally right next door. But that's just one of the the signs that remains, one of the markers that reminds us of the destruction that swept Lake Street back in 2020. Today, many businesses have reopened, people are back, and the community, it, it feels strong. But we also know that this recovery process has not been without a lot of challenges. And that's what we're going to discuss tonight. We will hear from business owners along Lake Street, as well as some of the community groups that jumped in to get this corridor back to life. Let me introduce you to our guests who are here on the stage with me. So first, we are going to meet two business owners. Uh, Here on the end, this is Manny Gonzalez. And Manny is a pillar of the Lake Street business community. He and his sister, Victoria, co-own Manny's Tortoise in the Midtown Global Market. Oh, somebody's been there, Manny. Uh, I don't want to give away too much of a story, but I am excited to have him share uh, to, to share his story. Welcome to In Focus, Manny. Thank you so much, nice Angela. Nice to meet you. Yeah, nice, nice to, meet, to you. meet you. Next to Manny is Elias Uso. Elias owns Seward Pharmacy on East Lake Street. He has an amazing story as well. So glad you're here. Thank you, Elias. Thank you, Angela. And we also have two people who represent groups that are heavily invested in Lake Street's inclusive recovery. Yusra Muhammad is here, and Yusra is a business advisor at the Lake Street Council. And that is a group that has really changed dramatically since 2020. Welcome to In Focus, Yusra. Thank you for having me. And here we have... Andy Hesness. Andy is the executive director of Redesign, and that is a community development corporation for the greater Longfellow area, which includes East Lake Street. Hi, Andy. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hi. Well, I, of course, would like to start with the business owners. So, Manny, you've been on Lake Street for a long time, but tell us a little bit about how Manny's Tortoise came to be. How did you get started here in Minneapolis? Okay. Uh, first, gracias por venir al sur de Minneapolis. Thank you for coming to South Minneapolis. I'll tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, I study hotel administration and culinary school in Mexico City. Um, but I need the English to come back to Mexico. I want to work for a nice uh, hotel, Sheraton Maria Isabel, mm-hmm. in La Ciudad de Mexico. Uh, but uh, I need the English. So I came here to uh, Minneapolis. And I live in Lake Street since 1982. So I see the changes in the whole avenue. I work in different restaurants uh, all over the Twin Cities. I hear about a project on Lake Street, the first uh, Mercado Central, the first Latino market in Lake Street. So, and they were looking for restaurants. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, what a great opportunity. Maybe I should apply. I'm right? the guy, right? Yeah. So, so I apply, you know, and uh, they, they want five restaurants in that space, and uh, you have to come out with a menu. 
So I thought, well, you know, I know everybody's going to do like enchiladas, tacos. So I thought, why not tortas? A lot of people, they didn't know what tortas are. Like in South America, tortas are cakes. But in Mexico, they're uh, sandwiches. Ah. So I thought, I'm going to make my menu about tortas. So I thought to do a gourmet Mexican sandwiches. So I applied, and like 25 restaurants apply, and uh, they choose me. I was one of the fives. So uh, I was so lucky that they choose me. So I opened Mercado Central in 1999. That was my first location. And it was so successful because in South Minneapolis, the uh, Latino population was growing. And it was the only Mexican uh, market in that time. So it was really busy. So, Manny, tell us how you then located or relocated into the new Midtown Global Market, because that happened in 2006 Okay, when you moved into there. Yes. So, like I said, I opened in 1999, so Mercado was so busy. Two years later, I opened in Lake and 27, across the street, just right there. Yep. And I was there from 2002 to 2007. And then I opened a Midtown Global Market in 2006. Okay. So I have three locations in Lake Street. I didn't want to go anywhere else. I love this avenue, you know. So, okay, so this is how we arrived to, well, we get to 2020. What happened in 2020 while you're located, your location there in the Midtown Global Market? What did your restaurant experience? Okay, so I was, uh, that day I was at home, and one of my uh, employees called me, one of my girls, and he said, uh, many. Uh, I hear there is a big uh, uh, protesting in in the police station right here. So I was watching TV. Usually I was watching CNN, and uh, I saw the protest. So I uh, and they told me. I said, "Well, the market said we gotta close because they don't know what's gonna happen." So um, I told, "Well, just wait a little bit. I'm watching the news, and it's just people just protesting. I don't think nothing is gonna happen. You know, just protesting." And and then the night came down, and that's when I, I started seeing, oh, my God, hell break loose. So, yeah, they, they closed Midtown Global Market. And, and also you were already suffering, business was suffering because of the pandemic. Oh, yeah. Well, I can tell you a little bit about the pandemic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the governor told us, like, okay, every business has to close. So I remember Midtown Global Market has a meeting and say, okay, we got to close uh, maybe for a week, two weeks, uh, you guys want to be open uh, just for deliveries or uh, pickup. A lot of business in Midtown Global Market, they say, well, no, we're going to close. They thought, well, we wait for two weeks and see what happened. I didn't want to close because I, I said, no, because people, you know, where are they going to go? Or, you know, at least they can pick up their food or I can deliver. So I was there. Uh, probably like two business there, nobody else. And, uh, um, you know, we were there for, yeah, not two weeks. It was months and a year. So um, I was, yeah. And so we know that there was significant damages to many businesses. Windows were broken, fires. Did you sustain damage or did a lot of your neighboring? No. Uh, That day, somebody sent me a video when they broke the windows in the Midtown Global Market. Mm-hmm. You know, and I see people coming in, coming in, and uh, um, <clears throat> the next morning I came over, and I still see cars on fire, and I went to my place. A lot of business they were looted. You know, 
the the good thing about that is like uh, Midtown Global Market has a security people because Alina is there. So somehow they contain the people, but they did a lot of damage. And my in my place, they uh, it was a lot of food all over, and they stole my tablets, uh, cashiers. So it was it, it was really bad. So. And as we look at today, many businesses uh, did not return, did not reopen, did not come back. Um, and so what is your make on, on those who did not return, were not able to reopen? Um, I think because the pandemic first, you know, they thought they would be back in two weeks, but they it didn't. So um, a lot of them, they decide, like, uh, you know... <laughs> Why come back? Everything is closed. So, uh, and there's another thing. We have a lot of help from government, you know, like uh, PPL, just to keep, they gave us money just to keep our employees, just to work. And I, I use that money just to do that, just to survive. But a lot of, a lot of those businesses, they didn't do that. So, um, you know, it was hard for them. Uh, obviously, the employees that work in those restaurants, they didn't come back. They find other jobs or something. So, yeah, we close a lot of business in the midtown global market. And how is business for you today? Oh, today is wonderful. <laughs> because I was there. Ever since, really, to tell you the truth, I never closed. I mean, I was there. You know, even when we closed, I was there serving the community. We have apartments upstairs. So I thought, where are they going to go? You know? So, um, yeah. So I, w- I was there. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very good. Thank, thank God. Yeah. Thank Thank you, Manny. Thank you. And uh, Elias, let's bring you in here. Uh, you probably heard some themes in what Manny just shared, but tell us your story. Uh, I know that you you had just opened uh, Seward Pharmacy in 2019, I believe. Uh, how did that come about, opening your own uh, a pharmacy? Well, um, you know, I've lived uh, um, a few other states. You know, I lived most of my life in, in Georgia, in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, right after that, I went to school in uh, California, and literally, I kind of make a, I made a triangle, and then just came here to Minnesota, Minneapolis, of all places. So, <laughs> so, and then I say, um, you know, this is the best place to, you know, work. You know, I graduated as a pharmacist over there. I got my pharmacy in uh, in California, in Sacramento. And then once I start here and with my wife and I convinced her and tried to open the business and I finally did and we opened the business in September of uh, 2019. Was the community thrilled to have you there? I believe so. I believe so. At that point, yes. And uh, I was doing my best, you know, to kind of garner any support that we can. Um, It was right after that, COVID came, you know, you can tell how business was struggling. We're one of the lucky ones, um, you know, during that time because healthcare provider, we were able to open and continue business. I remember uh, seeing video of uh, the damage that your building right. um, experience. Uh, right. it, w- it was destroyed. You had, right. well, tell us about it. There was, right. during the civil unrest, uh, broken windows, um, a lot of items stolen. Yeah, we've, at that point, we lost almost everything. Um, we lost. Um, everything that we built, and uh, I looked at my wife and I said, "Yeah, I mean, I know I drag you into this, and uh, uh, but I, I, I promised her that uh, it's Minneapolis. You know, we'll be back. So this is the city I believe in." Uh, 
Why did you feel that? Because you had been shown love prior to Absolutely. the pandemic? Absolutely. The- this is Lake Street when immigrants come and thrive, uh, where, where you feel welcomed, where you feel home, and, and uh, even if you lose everything, there are people in Minneapolis that keep you up. The silver lining always that just makes it true to you. And, and, and I do believe that the, the, our neighbors that came to bring us up and uplift, uplift us to where we are right now, and uh, they keep on supporting us. So it was the most difficult time for all of us, you know. Lake Street looks like down there, but right now thrives. And I believe that, and because of the city of Minneapolis, the people, the, you know, the folks in Minneapolis are the most amazing people, and that's what keeps us going, you know, where you feel welcome as an immigrant, where you feel home, you know. Uh, but um, it's the most difficult time. Uh, so, I mean, to give you a story, right after our uh, pharmacy got break-in, and the next day, you know, like the next morning we gather everything, and then we tried to clean up. Wasn't then, there a fire set in the office? Absolutely. So the far part of this pharmacy was burned down. And, uh, and then right after we cleaned up, we went and protest at George Floyd Square. You know? So, because people are protesting for something very important. You know? So, and we're a part of it too. You know? What has so this is a lot to happen to experiencing your first year of opening? Uh, what has the recovery been like for you? So recovery, um, we were lucky enough to be honest with you. Um, we were we were we were doing okay now, and we're doing we kind of progressively we're doing much much better now. You know than we start than when we first we reopened. We reopened a year after September of twenty twenty. Uh, I believe I'm not if I'm not mistaken the date. Uh, so we reopened again, you know, after we closed, uh, after the looting and after all the, um, the destruction. So the recovery has been much, much better now for us. But to be honest with you, there are so many businesses, I think um, Lake Street can attest to that. Lake Street Council can attest to that. There's so many businesses were not able to open they were they still struggling. They were not able to open their door. And that is what we have to fight for, you know, as a business owner, you know. So you talked about pe- volunteers coming to help you clean up. But who else helped you? Did, uh, who, did anyone provide you with grants? Uh, did you get a, a break, right. a financial break in any way? Absolutely. Uh, Lake Street Council, uh, one of the pillars of our uh, Lake Street, uh, uh, which uh, help us, you know, bring this business up. Uh, the African development, you know. Uh, you know, folks. African Economic Development Solutions of Minnesota. Yes, yes. Uh, and uh, and I had I had uh, one of um, my patient came us and gave us a few, almost a thousand dollars just to help us reopen. So a patient gave you a yes. donation. Yes, they wanted you to come back. They wanted you to know. I would never want us to come back because. If you can imagine that during that time, it was the most difficult time for all of us. It was the most difficult time, you know, for our neighbors. I've lived a couple blocks from um, George Floyd Square, you know, uh, and everybody worried. 
and our neighbor really want us to come back and reopen our business. And I thought about, you know, am I going to come back and reopen this business and then go through this again? And I say, if I don't do it, who will come back and do it? Because it's, it's incumbent on us, all of us, to just come back and reopen and keep this going as a society. That is what I believe. And, uh, and, and Lake Street is very, very important, you know, as an immigrant, as a minority, and most, the most vibrant street that you can find in Minneapolis. And the world is watching us. That's the fact. And you're a business owner, but this is also your community that you're living where you're raising your child. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I have a two-year-old that, uh, that I can tell a story at some point in life that what I have done, mm-hmm. what I have done my best to bring back Lake Street and do, do my best in life to raise her in general, you know. So, so it's, uh, it's what we do our life, in our life, and, you know, you do your best, uh, what you can, not for yourself, for your community. Uh, this is a good place uh, to bring you in, uh, Yusra. Uh, you're with uh, the Lake Street Council. Uh, and, and for people who are not familiar with Lake Street Council, uh, tell us about the history of that group and, and really how it has changed so much in the last three years. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, Lake Street really started off with just four people, and it grew into a team of 11 now because of that. I think during, specifically during that time of the murder of George Floyd, we were, it was go time, and we, we use a word a lot, you know, triage. We had to really apply triage to all the small businesses in the area. So I remember the headlines that money poured in. Uh, like I think you all raised $12 million in just a matter of days yeah. um, as, as part of the fundraising effort. Yeah. And so was that overwhelming? Absolutely. I mean, so we, yeah, we had our We Love Lake Street initiative where we raised $12 million. I'm still amazed <laughs> by how that happened. It, it was really overwhelming at the time. I, I was a board member, actually. And I just remember just like reading all like the emails and and being a part of the meetings and being like, what the hell is going on? (laughs) Um, But because of that is really why I think I transitioned into wanting to put my foot in and, and helping be a part of this difference because of all of the amazing things that Lake Street Council was able to offer to the community and small businesses. So remind us in detail, uh, what are some of the things that the Lake Street Council did do to make sure that the recovery w- would happen and that also that it was equitable? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, during the time, as you know, like buildings are displaced, buildings are being burned down. You know, building owners have lost everything that they could imagine, everything that they built. And, you know, like Ilya said, these are immigrant-owned businesses. That, I mean, they've left war- war-torn countries to build here. And so we really had to start from scratch, and that could be anything from figuring out how we could help replace their inventory, you know, help replace their equipment, build, you know, their exteriors, their interiors, figure out their insurances. Um, a lot of businesses, you know, we're just, like, missing so many things. And I think we had to figure out what every, whatever corner that we could help assist in, 
we had to do it and we had to do it fast immediately. There was no waiting for, you know, applications and weeks and months. Like it was like, no, this is like go time, like right now. And so, um, and you know, we, at the time Lake Street Council hired contractors because I mean, it's impossible job just for a few people to do. And so we had to reach every corner that we could. And I, I have to believe that just the emotional despair. So was that helpful just knowing that Lake Street Council existed, that somebody was there on, on the ground yeah. recognizing that the help needed to come now? Did that give some people incentive to stay with it? Absolutely. Um, I think, you know, once again, a lot of these businesses are, you know, immigrant owned businesses and Lake Street Council board staff represented the community. So, you know, we had to find Spanish speaking helpers. We have to find people who can speak the language of Somali speaking. Um, and we had to just let them know we're here for you. Um, and so I think it was a really good way to like highlight because representation is a really important thing. Of course, as we mentioned, as we know, not all businesses uh, along Lake Street were able to rebuild, uh, to reopen. Uh, what's your understanding of why some businesses moved elsewhere or closed for good? You know, unfortunately, $12 million sounds like a lot, but it's nothing at the end of the day. Not everyone could get supported, and a lot of businesses were not able to get back up on their feet. And a lot of businesses were burnt to the ground. I mean, up until this day, there's, you know, spaces that are gone. still just gone right across the street here, you know, that mm-hmm. haven't just, you know, cherished. And unfortunately, it, it, it wasn't anything that could be done for at the time. Andy, let's turn to you for another story of the recovery. You're with Redesign, and it has really been deeply involved in the restoration of the Coliseum, uh, which is a really cool project that involves several businesses in one building along East Lake Street here. So let's go back again to 2020. What happened to this building, the Coliseum? Uh, What happened at that time? Yeah, so the Coliseum building um, is also just about a half block from here. Um, It's an 85,000-square-foot building uh, built over the course of many years, starting around 1917. Uh, It's hosted really – it's been a center of the community for a long time. It had a ballroom. um, It's had restaurants, offices, bowling alleys, um, just about you name it. It's been in that building at one point in time. It had a Hennepin County Clinic at one point as well. Um, And that building suffered um, pretty significantly in the um, the uprising and uh, was broken into a number of times, uh, suffered three really significant fires during the, the unrest. Yes, yeah, significantly. So there were, it was the, a Denny's location, which some folks remember in that building on the corner, um, had a really substantial fire. Uh, there was a restaurant on the opposite end of the first floor, Mama Safia's, had a fire so hot that a metal walk-in cooler incinerated, basically completely gone. So the, the first floor of the building was pretty much destroyed from fire. The second story of the building had really significant smoke damage. Um, and then the sort of miraculous thing for a long time, you walked around the third floor and you almost wouldn't have known anything had happened to the building. Um, it was such a well-built, strong, concrete frame building that um, even in that that sort of intense um, damage that happened, so some parts of it were okay. So the property owner at the time looked at that building and, and essentially determined, we're just going to tear it down. We're, this is a total loss. My understanding is they got a full insurance payout that the building was completely unsalvageable. 
And uh, Redesign is an organization we've existed in South Minneapolis for about 54 years now. We're a geographically based nonprofit developer. And we've worked in commercial real estate for a long time, identifying projects that other parts of the, the market wouldn't take on. And this was one when, um, when all the damage happened and, and many of the buildings in this area burned. Our team went out and really started assessing um, what are those critical properties where our small businesses have existed that are going to be potential catalysts for the community and rebuilding, um, both from sort of a physical standpoint, but also from a sense of hope and where there's potential to really kind of show the community progress. And in that assessment process, we identified probably 20 high-priority sites and started making calls to uh, building and property owners, um, identifying what the opportunities were, and started a conversation with the owner of the Coliseum building at that time. And they were like, oh, we're going to tear it down. We're going to sell it as vacant land. And our staff said, can we take a look? So um, we had a team that went in. We, um, on our dime, brought in some consultants, started uh, doing some analysis, brought in an engineering firm that was expert in sort of post-fire structural evaluation. And they said, this building can be salvaged. So we worked with a lot of partners, a lot of our funding partners, um, the city and LISC and others, put together a package um, to acquire the building and purchased it. So that you know, essentially taking that into community hands and then worked to really put together a project that was community-led. So if we thought about rebuilding the physical structure, um, we also wanted to start shifting who owns property in the neighborhood, who makes decisions about property, and who can really benefit from um, real estate. So we've had you know, small businesses in the community, community ownership, and, and diverse property ownership that wasn't always necessarily you know, who owned these larger structures. So this was an opportunity for Redesign then to really put together a team of folks who were from the community, interested in being part of our team, um, and then um, putting together a really complicated financing structure. So we brought in an number of BIPOC uh, businesses as partners. So they are going to both be tenants in the building, but also co-own the building with us. And we put some pause there. Say that again. We, we've got a number of partners in this project. We financed this together, and these are going to be BIPOC-owned businesses that their businesses are in the building, but they also own the entire building. So, so the Coliseum will reopen as a, a black-owned building. Yes. Yes, so right. re- redesign will be a part of that ownership structure to start, and due to some you know fun things like federal rules around new markets tax credits, we're going to stay with those folks in the partnership for a period of time. But then after seven years, we're going to get refinanced out, and they're going to own that building solely, so we can be a catalyst to property going into community ownership and having our businesses own the property they're in. All right. So. The staff at, at NPR News uh, talked to a lot of people um, as we researched uh, this conversation, uh, business owners, stakeholders, and a theme that kept coming up was the need for more business owners to own their own buildings. Um, and so Redesign, you know, you have a long history of, of doing this development work. Um, Andy, talk about what it would take for some of these business owners to own their own buildings, um, because I know, I, I guess you really have to get creative with the financing. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. Why don't we see more of that? There's a lot of different parts. You know, I think, you know, and, you know, my kudos to our small business owners. We work with them all the time. Uh, Redesign does a lot of work directly helping businesses. Um, We also, like Lake Street Council and a lot of the other partners on Lake Street, do a lot of um, direct-to-business technical assistance. We work with businesses to assist with, um, you know, small renovations and things like that. But what you see a lot of the time is business owners are so focused on the business they're doing that um, assembling financing um, and really 
really just thinking through all the nuance of um, you know purchase price and um, agreements and if it's a multi-tenant building um, now all of a sudden you're a landlord and you've got tenants and leases and all sorts of other complexity that that adds to what you're already um, having to do with your own business but the role we're playing here in Coliseum is we can really set up a situation where we can create a structure that allows business owners to be a part of that ownership group participate in the wealth building potential of real estate but also lower some of those barriers by bringing our own expertise in real estate development our relationships and expertise in assembling financing um, and then we can really do this jointly with those shared goals of community ownership all right. If you're just joining us, welcome. You are listening to an NPR News In Focus conversation called Stories Behind the Storefront, recorded in front of a live audience at The Hook and Ladder in Minneapolis. We're talking with business owners and leaders of community groups about how Lake Street has fared three years after George Floyd's murder, when much of it sustained significant damage. My guests are Manny Gonzalez, the owner of Manny's Tortas, which is inside Midtown Global Market on Lake Street, as well as Elias Uso, the owner of Seward Pharmacy, also on East Lake Street. Yusra Mohammed is with us, a business advisor at the Lake Street Council, and Andy Hesness is here, executive director of the Community Development Corporation called Redesign. Now, since this discussion is called Stories Behind the Storefront, we also want to share a few more experiences of Lake Street businesses and organizations, and this time we can do it via video. The first short story you're going to hear and, and see for our live audience is from Barlin Kadia, the owner of Barla's Boutique. Let's listen. I've been here for eight years, Lake Street. It's beautiful, mashallah. We have all the varsity people coming through. We closed the COVID-19 with Joe Floyd. It hits us really bad. And we didn't get that much money. Even you apply PP loan, they won't give you because you have I'll to have that much employee. I think three, four months we have a, we just paid up the rent, our packet. There was no business going on. And we lost a lot of customers. They don't want to come to this area. Two times they come in inside to have a gun. I have to be here seven days because uh, I'm scared for that. If I impl- hire somebody, they can kill. We need more police be involved. Yeah, 42 is fine because she's tall. You can go and try it on. Every night I have to go with the customer, make sure they're okay. They're calling me, we're scared, are you scared, are you scared? You have to find another location, this is not good for you. I said, you know why, I've been here for a long time, it's not easy to move somewhere quickly. It takes time. This one, let me see. No, too, too light. I like Lake Street, honestly. As long as we get more safe. I think it's the best place to be. I like it. I've been here eight years. Now, you heard Barlin say there a couple of things that uh, we heard from other business owners. Uh, first, that PPP loans weren't accessible to them. And Yusra, uh, there at Lake Street Council, did you hear that from a lot of people, that they could not get the loans that they needed? Absolutely. We heard that all the time. And I mean, unfortunately, I mean, there was a lot of disparities and gaps between that. I mean, there was also just the lack of knowledge of like how to get the PPP loans. Um, It was hard for a lot of business owners um, directly to, you know, get in contact with someone at the bank or really be educated. So there was a lot of just missed opportunities, um, unfortunately, and a lot of people were eligible for it, but it's just missed out. And so it was an example of how some of these programs just don't work. A hundred percent. I mean, the PPP loan, I mean, it was 
As if you don't understand, once again, these are immigrant-owned businesses, so English is their second language, and someone who's even English is their first language, it's hard to understand these applications, these lengthy process, how do you get it, you know, and so it was really unfortunate that there really wasn't, you know, a better process for these business owners. And many, we also heard uh, Barlin talk about uh, customers and, and other people saying that they were scared to come to the, the Lake Street area. Did you hear that, that people were scared to come to the area? And, 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 and do people still say that to you? Yeah, they do, you know, and it's just amazing. I live in Egan. And people around there, you know, I tell them where my business is, and they, they say, oh, Lake Street? I say, come on, you know, it's the best avenue in Minneapolis. And, yeah, but th- that's the truth. A lot of people f- don't feel safe to come to South Minneapolis. But uh, I think it's like the misconception right. about the area. I tell you, I've been here for so many years, and I think it's, it's a beautiful avenue, a lot of diversity, and that's the beauty about it then you can see all kinds of people from all over the world, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I was talking with the, um, when we opened uh, Midtown Global Market, I said, we have to make this avenue uh, a tourist destination. And I think it's getting there because I got a lot of customers and they come uh, visit and they come and they say, where you come from? Oh, Colorado, Los Angeles, and they come to see their families and, and they come to Lake Street because it's so diverse and all kinds of opportunities uh, food, the food is unbelievable. So, but but yeah, there is a lot of misconception that Lake Street, you know, they they feel afraid to come. And uh, Ellis, I know you live in the community, and a lot of your customers are locals. But do you hear that in conversations uh, with folks who live in other parts of the metro area, other parts of the state, that they're afraid to come to Lake Street? There is one um, uh, concern, uh, especially uh, when it comes to uh, drug where um, people um, get uh, some kind of drugs that lace with uh, fentanyl, where uh, the pharmacies across the street, there is a lot of uh, um, drug exchange. Those kind of stuff is something we have to you know, work as a community. And I've, I've actually passed out um, some Narcon for you know, folks that, that uh, got overdosed. So there is those kind of concern. And on Lake Street, that we have to address, we have to work together. Um, drug overdose is a main issue that we all have to be concerned. As a pharmacist, it's one of my main concerns. I get uh, uh, a knock on the door when someone gets passed away on the street because of overdose. So those are the stuff that really scares me more than any other crime, to be honest with mm-hmm. you. All right, let's watch uh, another story. This one features uh, Mustafa Hashis, the owner of the Moroccan goods shop Dar Medina in Midtown Global Market. Let's listen. We are on Lake Street. The market's called Midtown Global Market. I am Mustafa, the owner of this small business called Dar Medina. We have leather work. We have... uh, Rugs, carpets, we have jewelry, all handicrafted. We have cloth, Moroccan traditional cloth for ladies, for men. First it was COVID and then the murder of uh, George Floyd. Good seeing you though. Thank you so much. I mean for me I don't know a lot of things about grants or supports or whatever they call it. 
for me the big support I need these customers to come and I didn't really even plan on buying a rug but they're so gorgeous Lake Street it's very wonderful neighborhood so you go with this one here yes. good right. choice I mean everywhere in the world there is places good and not sometimes but here people they are trying to make it more nicer and I don't know why people get scared thank you good Bye-bye. seeing you I appreciate the support all Lake Street there is many things cultural food clothes a lot of things good to visit and to share just coming in and we hope to see more people here in the market and promise you you won't get disappointed I want to share a story that Mustafa shared with our producer. He said that grants from the Neighborhood Development Center and uh, Midtown Global Market helped him stay afloat during those first few months of the pandemic when he had to shut down completely. And he was so grateful for the support that he asked if he could send some grant money to his suppliers in Morocco, who were also suffering greatly from the global shutdown. And so he was really determined uh, to pass on the help that he received. And, and Manny, I think you have a story similar to that. Uh, I know that a GoFundMe was created for your business, yep. and you had a little hesitancy about that in, in the beginning, yep. but it, you know, well, what did um, it do? Yeah, uh, I, it wasn't my idea. It was my sister kids, my nephew and my niece, you know, because we didn't know what to do, you know. It, it was very scary because, you know, we're no money no customers and they they construct the GoFundMe thing uh-huh. and it, it was so amazing because I didn't want to do it I don't like to ask for money you know and uh, we raised um, uh, $35,000 so uh, yeah done that money at that time what were you able to do with that what did that do we, we, we played the suppliers you know like the food um, we paid the rent uh, employees to keep it afloat, and then we give some money to one of the uh, telephones company on Lake Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, we give them five thousand dollars from that money, just Na- to a help. neighboring business. Yeah, neighbor. Yeah, just to help him out too, because we hear about he lost everything too. So mm-hmm. we give them five thousand dollars from there, from mm-hmm. that money. Yeah. Uh, you, you sure does that sound familiar to you uh, as you talk to other business owners along Lake Street? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the most beautiful part about all of this, even though it was such like a negative downtime, the beauty of it all was like this really sad event brought everyone together, united every community. I'm talking about from every culture. Um, And I think that was really the best part was watching everyone help each other. I know I've seen many businesses giving food to their neighboring businesses, you know, and, um, or even like during the riots, like watching over someone else's business, like they were taking shifts because someone needed to sleep or, you know, a mother needed to feed her child or whatever the case was. So I think that was the best part was watching how everyone really supported each other during this time. And I'm, I'm guessing too, a sharing of information. Like this was my experience with insurance and here's some advice on how to navigate. Yes, absolutely. Whether it came to insurance, even the GoFundMes, we saw a lot of that. And GoFundMe, I mean, I think everybody saw like 
there was and, and it was really the the younger generations that were helping like the kids that were um, starting these GoFundMe and it really helped because sometimes like insurance and, and grants really couldn't cover everything and so people coming together and GoFundMe anyone from anywhere in in the nation can can help donate and we were really at the global eye at the time so it was really important social media played a huge effect to that so it was really cool to share all the resource informations and um Anything you can add? It sounds like you also were, were seeing, even in all this destruction, community being built and a sharing and helping of, of one another. Yeah, absolutely. We, um, we're we a commercial property owner, so we have um, about seven commercial properties where we have tenants and um, just incredible to support many of them and then watch them support each other and support the community. So, you know, we had organizations like um, Denord Craft Spirits, which is a tenant in our building just a couple blocks from here. They had founded a nonprofit to um, support other entrepreneurs launch. That organization pivoted and became a community food shelf. Um, They started, like many of the distilleries, not being able to necessarily produce product in the same way, um, started making hand sanitizer and sharing that across different organizations. So there's so many examples of that, but it it was one of those moments where the community just came together in so many ways and we saw our, our business community really step up. Our final video tells a slightly different story. McGizzy is an organization that serves Native American youth and it was housed in a building that, that burned down in the 2020 uh, uprising. It's taken longer than they'd like to to return to Lake Street, but they are now hard at work on a new building in a new location. Let's listen to Teddy Gray Owl explain. We're a nonprofit. We've been around since 1977, and our goal was to make Native American students successful. Unfortunately, our building was one of them that burnt down during the riots around uh, the killing of George Floyd. We had to find new space, and we started searching, and we came across this building here. Here's going to be our kitchen, and then in front of that is our large community room that also houses our after-school programming as well, too. This is the Wee Goob. That's how you'd say it in Ojibwe. Hope Flanagan. She's uh, with the organization Dream of Wild Health, and she's going to teach our students today about what wild plants we use as medicines here. Wee Goob has all sorts of gifts. If you don't know what your gift is yet, hang in there. It can be revealed. It's just like the plants. You might go like, well, I don't know what plant that is. That doesn't have any gift that I can see. This plant has all kinds of gifts. You could use this dogwood for making your herbal tobacco. Dream of Wild Health and Migazi have been partners for many years. So these flowers are some of the best you can get for pollinators. They're just making me happy. We could uh, probably do a whole show on um, all the inspiring things that Migazi does. It's part of a long history of this cultural corridor being a home for Native Americans and for immigrants. But Migazi still missing from Lake Street. It took them nine months to find that new building and even more time to raise the capital to overhaul it. Uh, Yusra, I know they're not alone. What about the organizations or businesses that didn't reopen, like groups like this? Tell us more about what happened to some of them. Did they move to other places? Have they come back? Everyone, I think, had different stories. Some were, some did move to other places. I know, like places like Mall of America stepped up, where they provided the community commons for displaced businesses um, around the George Floyd Square or anyone that was displaced um, to provide uh, free like rent for like six months or whatever the case was. Or you know, they had to move cities, and some of them, unfortunately had to permanently close. And that's why it's really important 
we're, you know, it's three years later, but we're still fighting for the recovery of Lake Street. And we still hope and wish that these businesses come back. They want to come back. This is still their home. They still live here. Um, and this is where they feel like that they would thrive and they will thrive. And I think it's really important that we continue to find ways that we can support these small businesses and helping them come back. And so for my final question, um, I kind of want to start about what's next. Um, the conversation so far, I mean, to me, has felt very hopeful, but I know there's still a lot of work to be done, particularly when you look at, at equity uh, for the businesses in this area. So, Andy, what do you think are the, are the top challenges? What do you see that um, will be a challenge for development? And can develop, development happen in new ways? Yeah, and I, I think that's really the model that that redesign is pursuing is um, how do we take this process of real estate, something that um, you know has built our cities over many years, uh, but use that that structure and that system of finance and, and construction in a different way, and and really change who benefits from real estate. The challenge we have in front of us is you know, and particularly right in this area is we had significant damage, and we have you know as we've said earlier in the conversation, vacant lots. Those those types of properties are very challenging. Um, they're very capital intensive to, to rebuild. And, you know, we've seen, you know, if you look nationwide, other uh, places where significant civil unrest has happened, it takes long-term sustained investment to really build back. I mean, you can still see places um, in, where I used to live in Chicago for a time, you know, in North Lawndale, you can see where the neighborhood commercial quarters that were burned after Martin Luther King was murdered. So, if we don't, as a community, step up, um, we may see these scars for a long time. So that's the challenge in front of us. Um, and I think we've seen programs at the state, like the Deed Main Street program, that thought about investing in our real estate uh, that we you know, really need to see more of um, in a pretty in, you know significant legislative session. We didn't see any investment this year in the the rebuilding of the structures. We had great investment in the businesses and we're really grateful for that support. But we, where are those businesses going to be? What are the structures they're going to be in? And how can we work as community then um, to rebuild the community and the buildings where our small businesses will grow and thrive in ways that, that really bring in many of those property owners, but also um, just community organizations and other community-minded investors into the ownership of real estate. So we've got some big challenges here, you know, just in this general area. We're working um, in coalition with a number of folks to really provide some wraparound service to emerging developers and trying to think about ways that folks who are new to the real estate development space can be supported. So in addition to doing our own real estate development, Redesign provides advising to new developers. The city of Minneapolis has a program called the Developer Technical Assistance Program. That's been a fantastic way for us to be able to have the time as a nonprofit to um, really invest in teaching the skills we have in real estate development, bringing that next generation of folks from community and really a much more diverse cohort of developers into the space. And then we've got a lot of partners like um, like LISC, who has their Developers of Color program, and, um, and Greater Minnesota Housing um, and others that have really designed ways that they can create new structures of support and new funding tools. Um, but all of that really speaks to the need for collaboration and the need for, you know, not saying, oh, the job's done on Lake Street. We're not done. We're still moving. We we need some support still, but we can get the job done with, with some help. So you start, it's clear the recovery is going to be long-term, but have you found that some of the institutions and groups and people that stepped forward to help, who were very generous three years ago, are they losing interest? Um, I wouldn't say – I don't think they're losing interest, no. Um, I think – 
that <laughs> we continue to be loud and show them that we still need the support. And it's really important to be a voice and continue to be a voice. I think they'll only lose interest if, you know, we dim our lights and that's not going to happen anytime soon. What do you see as a big challenge? I think, you know, the biggest challenge is something, especially that the small business owners shared, is bringing people back to Lake Street and and really, like, letting go of that fear. And I think... Uh, safety is a huge concern and the biggest way to I think you know mitigate that concern is the more customers and the more color and the more people that come back to Lake Street the safer that the community is going to be just like any other community mm-hmm. Elias what keeps you up at night what worries you about uh, this recovery uh, process besides your well, your, your, uh, your young daughter what keeps you up at night <laughs> yeah I'm just afraid to get a phone call from a lot of company you know sometimes that's that's what keep me out sometime you know beside my daughter but of course you know um, crime and drug issue is the main issue that we've always have to work forward toward uh, to make it a little bit more better I mean our our location where the pharmacy is it's right by the bridge. Twenty uh, second and right by the Hiawatha Bridge and Lake Street, it's where a lot of stuff happened. So it's something that, uh, as a city, that uh, um, as a community, that we have to work together to kind of make that area a little bit more better, uh, bring uh, much more help that needed uh, from the city, from the county, and uh, and also I kind of mis- uh, forgot to mention one thing. Um, the Hennepin County were able very helpful to us. They're uh, the landowner of uh, the you know where the pharmacy is right now. They were able to give us and rent free during those difficult times. And I just want to kind of plug you that. Got a out. break on the rent. Yes, break, mm-hmm. and then they fixed all the broken windows. And I was very very grateful to them. Manny, you've been here uh, a long time, and uh, it sounds like you want to continue to be here for a long time. What do you think is a, a, a barrier? What's going to get in the way of Lake Street being able to thrive and, and, and be what it, it has the um, capacity to be? What do you see as, a, as the big challenge? We need to put a little more makeup to this avenue. And I talked to the Midtown Global Market. I showed them pictures. I'm from Mexico City. And, um, you know, in the cathedral and the government centers, they have illumination to the building. And they told me, I said, we can not put anything in the Sears building because it's a historic building. I said, I understand that. Don't paint anything, whatever. But you can put lighting, and that will make a difference. You know, sometimes at night when you come out of Lake Street, some parts are dark. So I think that's one of the main things that we should be doing. A very put practical a lighting. solution, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, mm-hmm. just put lighting and make it, make it pretty, you know? So, yeah. And um, one more thing I want to tell to my friends of the suburbs. Come this Saturday. We have open street. See how beautiful it is, Lake Street. Yep. Events. So maybe creating also events that invite a a wider circle of people to come and and then they have a good experience. They'll come back. You think that's part of it, too? That's part of it. And we're already doing it. Midtown Global Market has events Mm -hmm. every single week. Every weekend, we have schools then they come and uh, they, um, usually it's funny because I do a tour and I talk about the building and I talk the history and I do a cooking shows too in the Midtown Global Market in Espanol y en Inglés. English and Spanish. So. 
Well, this has been a, a fantastic conversation, very enlightening, and I, I want to thank all of our panelists. Uh, we've been talking with Manny Gonzalez, the owner of Manny's Tortas, Elias Uso, the owner of Seward Pharmacy, Yusra Mohammed from the Lake Street Council, and Andy Hesness, Executive Director at Redesign. And a big thank you to all the members of the audience here at Hook and Ladder Theater and Lounge in Minneapolis. Not only did I get to see your wonderful faces, I got to hear your applause. That's been wonderful. Thank you for being here, as well as to the folks at Meet Minneapolis who partnered with us to have this conversation. I also want to thank the Lake Street businesses, Rectangle Pizza and Lancheria Los Amigas for feeding us before we got started this evening. And to our, our listeners, look for us next in August, NPR, at the Minnesota State Fair, where we will talk about equity and farming. Until then, enjoy your summer and stay safe, everyone. Thanks.